Please open to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. We're going through the names of Jesus in our Advent series. Since we missed last week, we're putting two names together today, the name Savior and the name Lord. If you were able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God of the highest, and on earth peace among, among those whom with whom he is pleased. Pray with me. Thank you, Father, for your word today. Open our ears to hear. Open our hearts and our minds to receive it. If there's one here who doesn't know Christ, may they come to know you today. For believers, may we rejoice that you have given us a Savior and a Lord. May we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we all remember the story of Romeo and Juliet. You know, in that tragedy, William Shakespeare tells us of a young man and a young woman who, despite the fact that the two families were at war with each other, they were going to fall in love no matter what. The story tells us that the Montagues, the Capulets, they were caught up in this big family feud. But their past history was going to have no impact upon Romeo and Juliet falling in love with each other. In fact, it was during that play, one of the most popular lines of that play, uh, Juliet Capulet says this. She says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. What's in a name? And of course, by that, she means that the name Montague is meaningless to her. It's simply artificial, and it does not matter. To Juliet, she didn't love the name, she loved the person. That names are random, they serve no purpose, they were hollow, they were contrived. That was why she said, what's in a name? Well, as you know, this Advent season, we're looking at The names, the names that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find is that throughout Scripture, God the Father chooses some very specific, very special names that apply to His Son. And we find that when God gives His Son a name, it's not artificial. It's not contrived. It's not random. It's not meaningless. In fact, 
the names of Jesus, the Bible tells us, are substantial. They're significant. They're meaningful. Two weeks ago, we reached back into the Old Testament. We looked at Isaiah, and we found several names that were given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we walked through all four of those names, and we learned how special, how specific these names are to the life work of Jesus Christ. And today, as we move forward in our Advent series, we're going to do the same thing with two more names because God the Father chooses to give His Son two very specific names today. The name Savior and the name Lord. The Scripture says to us, for unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you have your bulletin with you, be sure and look on the back of it. There's an outline that will help us walk through this sermon. But join me as we look at these two names of Jesus. First of all, the name Savior. As we study the name Jesus, we find that that word is actually rooted in the Old Testament. Yeshua in Hebrew, translated Joshua. Coming into the New Testament into Greek, it's Jesus. It simply means Yahweh saves. But let's be reminded of the verse that Hunter read just a moment ago, Matthew one twenty one. It says this, You shall give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And I want you to mark that phrase, will save. Jesus will save. That verb, will save, it tells us something important about the future of that little boy who was laying in the manger. It tells us that God had a specific plan, a specific purpose will save. It tells us specifically that God had a mission. He had a mission for that child who was laying in the manger. And that mission was to be our Savior. You know, when we think about the Christmas scene, what do we remember? We remember the trip to Bethlehem. We remember the star. We remember the wise men. We remember the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. We remember Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. That's the scene. But as we study this name, Savior, and we see that verb, will save, the Bible is teaching us to remember that this baby was on a mission, that there was a plan There was something big and something great that God had in store. You see, Jesus didn't just come to be a moral example. Jesus didn't just come to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. He came to save his people from their sins. And right here, beloved, I want you to see that this word Savior and will save, it has everything to do with you and me. Because the Bible says that We are sinners, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not even one. And that the wages of our sin is death. 
But God demonstrated his love towards us. That he sent his only son, Jesus, from heaven to earth. And Christ became that infant child robed in our humanity. And Christ grew up facing all the miseries of this life. And he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. And he went to die on the cross for our sins in order to save us from our sins. You see, Christ's mission, beloved, was to go from the cradle of Bethlehem to the cross in Jerusalem. And we never, ever need to forget the mission of our Savior. And in doing this, the Bible says that Christ became our Redeemer. Now, what is our church's name? Church of the Redeemer. What does it mean to redeem? Because our Savior, the Bible says, redeems. Redeem means to buy back. And if you buy something back, a price has to be paid. I want you to think about every situation on on this side of glory that needs deliverance or rescue. Everything that needs rescue, there's a price to pay. Do you remember a few months ago the story of that Thai soccer team that got lost in the cave. You remember that? There were 12 boys and one coach, 13 people, and they got lost in a cave, and the cave started to fill with water. It became national news. I went back and looked at kind of what went on in that time, in that need for rescue, and I learned that there was a big price to be paid to get those boys, to get that coach out of the cave. I learned that there were over a hundred rescuers just inside the cave. I learned that there were over a thousand members of the Thai army that had come to assist these rescuers in the cave. And on top of that, there were 10,000 and plus other people who came to give assistance to the army to help the rescuers in the cave, all to save 13 people. And I know many of you know that during that time of saving those people, there was a Thai Navy SEAL who died trying to save those people. It took not hours, not days. It took weeks to go in and get those boys and their coach. But through the efforts of all those people, every single member of that team, even the coach, survived. A great price was paid. And their earthly lives were redeemed. Love it in much the same way. Our Savior paid such a great price. The Bible says he battled our sin or even death. He battled hell. He took on our humanity and went through all the miseries of this life. Weakness. Grief. He took the crown of thorns on his head. He took the stripes on his back. Our Savior took the nails in his hands and his feet. But even more than that, he took our sin upon himself. And when he did, he quenched the wrath of God. He satisfied divine justice forever. Jesus paid the price. And in doing so, the Bible says, he redeemed us. He bought us back. 
He saved us from our sins. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Let's always remember that when we remember the cradle of Christ, we have to remember the cross. We have to remember that Christ was on a mission. That he was born so that he could grow up and die. And we stand now knowing that through the Savior's death, he has brought us life. Through his death, we have life. He came to redeem us. He came to sacrifice for us. Beloved, that's what it means to have the name Savior. But secondly today, the Bible says he is Lord. You know, as a pastor, I've learned that many people have no problem with the name Savior. I mean, the fact that someone would come and die on the cross for your sin to give you eternal life, that's wonderful news. That's easily received by many people. The problem comes when they get to this name, Lord. See, Jesus is not just Savior, He is Lord. Never forget the announcement. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You can't have one without the other. Why don't people like the name Lord? It's a name that implies sovereignty. It's a name that teaches us that someone else is in control. And that someone is not me or you. It's God. It's Jesus. Yes, people want to have Jesus as Savior, but they don't want Him as Lord. But the Bible says you can't have Him that way. He's both. He is Savior and Lord. You see, what the Bible teaches us that when God brings someone to Himself, He actually changes their heart. There's a desire, there's a want to, not only to come to Jesus, but a commitment to follow after Jesus. And you can look at your notes there. I'll say Jesus is Lord even on three levels as we look at it. First of all, He's our personal Lord. If you've come to know Jesus, He is your personal Lord and Savior. That you have entered into a new relationship which acknowledges His sovereignty, His mastery of your life. We think about 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But I think the, many, the problem for many of us it, with lordship is we want to compartmentalize our lives. We want to say, Jesus, you can be Lord of this part of my life, but, but not of this part of my life. Have, um, have you ever had an unexpected guest show up at your house? I remember at Christmas time growing up, around this time of year, we would have a bunch of unexpected guests. My neighbors would come over, knock on the door at random. We'd have friends stop by, knock on the door at random. Has this ever happened to you? Anybody had an unexpected guest come by? Well, think about that time when you have an unexpected guest and your house is a mess, right? So they come to your door, oh no, such and such is here, oh, okay. So you open the door and you let them into the foyer of your house and you're talking to them, you're greeting them, you're, you're, you're glad to have this conversation as long as it stays in the foyer. 
Or maybe your living room is clean enough that they can come in and have a seat for a minute, but you don't want them walking into your kitchen or your bedroom. And certainly they, you don't want them to walk into the back bedroom and the back closet where there's some things that you just don't want to see going on. So you just want to keep them right here in the living room, keep them in the foyer. And you're glad that they're there, but there comes a time where you really want them to go home. Oh, thanks for coming. Uh, we'll see you later. Uh, out. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, sometimes we do that. We, we, we have an unexpected guest. We're glad to see them in this part, but we don't want you to go to that part. Compartmentalize when an unexpected guest comes. Sometimes I think we're guilty of treating the Lord Jesus Christ the same way in life. Jesus wants to come in our lives, and we say, yes, Jesus, come in, but I only want you to stay right here in this part of my life because it's comfortable right here in the foyer or in the living room. But Jesus, I really don't want you walking into other parts of my life. I don't want you to see what's in my kitchen. I don't want you to see what's in the bedroom, and I certainly don't want you to go see what's in the closet. Jesus, you stay right here. Let that stay over there, and sometimes it's going to be time for you to go because I need to do my own thing. That's not lordship. You see, when Jesus says he is Lord, that means he is sovereign over all parts of our lives. The foyer, the living room, the kitchen, the bathroom, it doesn't matter. You see, when Jesus wants to come into our lives, he doesn't want part of us. He wants all of us. He's the Lord. He's our personal Lord. And Lord, what lordship looks like is bringing everything that we are under his rule and his reign and saying, Jesus, stay, spread out in my house, spread out in my life, and let me live in such a way that honors and pleases you. There might be things you want me to change. There might be habits I need to break. And Lord, I want, but I want to live under your lordship. Why? Because he's the Lord. He's our personal Lord. Secondly, I say he's our corporate Lord. In other words, Jesus doesn't just belong to me. He doesn't just belong to you. He's the Lord of the church. Did you know that 28 times in the 13 books of Paul, Paul gives this, this expression, our Lord Jesus Christ. Not my, but our Lord Jesus Christ. Nine times he says, our Lord Jesus. Three times he says, Jesus Christ, our Lord so that's 40 times, 40 times in the 13 books of Paul, Paul appeals to the fact that we are all as a church, we all as a church have one Lord, and that Lord is Jesus Christ. So he's our personal Lord, our corporate Lord, but I'll also say he is our cosmic Lord. You see, the Bible says it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, Jesus is still Lord. He's still sovereign over the universe. That means that Christ's sovereignty rules over all humanity, the just and the unjust, the living and even the dead. Let me remind you what Philippians 2 says about this. Listen to this text. I know it's familiar to many of you. Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says that one day, it doesn't matter whether you are willing or you are unwilling, you are, we are all going to bow at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. So many other texts in the Bible talk about this. When Saul in Acts 9 encounters Jesus, he says, Who are you, Lord? In Acts 16, 31, he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Romans 9, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Thomas, after he doubted the Lord Jesus, what did he say at the end of John? My Lord and my God. Well, this brings us to one final story as we start wrapping this up, that Jesus is our Savior and Jesus is our Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, it's found in Matthew chapter 19. It's a story that we all know to be called the story of the rich young ruler. I believe in this story, the Lord Jesus challenges the rich young ruler with two things. Number one, that Jesus is Savior, and number two, that Jesus is Lord. Let's look at it together. This is Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do, you, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was young and he was rich, but his heart was burning. He had a question that he had to get answered. And he ran to Jesus to ask this question. And he said, Jesus, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What a question. And as we see, the Lord Jesus Christ responded to him. And the first thing Jesus did was challenge him with the law of God. The latter half of the Ten Commandments. And to love his neighbor as himself. Now, why does Jesus do this? Because I think Jesus knows that this rich young ruler, he can't obey God's law perfectly. And he's hoping that this young man will ponder God's law in his heart and in his mind and say, I can't do that. It's impossible for me to keep your law. I'm a sinner, therefore I need a Savior. 
You see, Jesus challenged him with the law so he would show the, the old boy his sin. So that he would show his need of a Savior. But the rich young ruler didn't even go there. He didn't stop to ponder God's law. He didn't stop to see his own depravity. He quickly moved on and said, Jesus, I've already done that, which is quite an arrogant statement to say that I've lived that out perfectly. You see, the rich young ruler failed to see the depth of his depravity, and he decided he didn't need a Savior. He says, I've already done that. And you'd think the conversation would stop since he thought he he had already done that. But his heart was burning. And he said, what else, what else do I lack? Well, Jesus had already challenged him with the law. He had already tried to show the man that he needed a Savior. So this time, Jesus challenges him with lordship. He says to him, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And you need to come and follow me. What does it mean for Jesus to be your Lord? It means you follow him. Following hard after Christ. But when Jesus challenged him with lordship, what did he do? He probably looked over and he saw all the wealth, all the possessions that he had. And his heart was tied to those possessions. His heart was tied to that wealth. You know, some people will look at the story and say, Jesus says, go sell everything you have, come follow me, that Jesus didn't want people to have possessions. I don't think that's what that means at all. I think Jesus was trying to show this man that his possessions were coming before the Lord. He loved his possessions more than he loved God, and he needed to get rid of whatever is coming between him and God. As Jesus said in other places in the Bible, pluck your eye out, cut your hand off, whatever you got to do. You get rid of whatever you love more than me. And for you, rich young ruler, you need to get rid of that because that's keeping you from coming to me because I need to be your Lord. And the rich young ruler pondered his possessions. And did you, did you hear it in the text? He went away sorrowful because he had great wealth. You see, on one side, he failed to see the depth of his own depravity, and he denied that he needed Jesus as Savior. But on the other side, he failed to see the height of God's sovereignty, and he said, I don't need a Lord. I need my possessions. And he went away sorrowful. As we come now to the last portion of this sermon, if you look in your bulletin, there's a section called Coram Deo, which is Latin for before the face of God. I know many of you have listened to R.C. Sproul over the years. Oftentimes at the end of his lectures, at the end of his teachings, he brings what's called a Coram Deo to his congregation. He says, how do we respond to the text we just heard before the face of God? And how are we going to live before the face of God in response to what the Bible says? As we reflect upon that in our own lives today, the first question I have for you is this. 
Do you know Jesus as Savior? Do you see the mission that that infant child was on to go from the cradle to the cross? Do you see the debt he paid to be your Redeemer as a sacrifice on that cross. The rich young ruler failed to see it. He failed to see the depth of his depravity. But you don't have to see your depravity come running to the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, do you know Jesus as Lord? Or are you compartmentalizing your life as if Jesus was an unannounced visitor at your door, an uninvited guest. Can you say with Thomas, my Lord and my God? Don't fail to see the height of God's sovereignty like the rich young ruler did. He went away sorrowful, but beloved, you don't have to. You can repent, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ even today as your Savior in your Lord. But maybe you're here and you've known the Lord Jesus Christ for a long time. I pray that this will be a fresh reminder, a reminder to you that when God chooses names for His Son, there's something to that name. That name is going to mean something. And Jesus certainly shows us what it means to be Savior and Lord. And I encourage you, if that is you this day, Say with the angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I pray today that we would all know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us first. If there is one here today, maybe they've heard the gospel their entire lives. Maybe they've sat in a church pew their entire lives, but they have never personally trusted you as Savior or as Lord. Lord, would you, by your grace, by your mercy, draw that one to yourself today? Lord, I know there's people here who know you, who've been serving you, for living, you, living for you for a long time. I pray, Lord, for those that we would indeed not try to compartmentalize our lives, saying just stay here or just stay there, but you would have full rule and reign of every room in the heart, in the, in the house of our hearts. And God, we give you glory as the angels sang praise to you in that field with those shepherds that day many years ago. We say along with them, glory be to God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.